Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Sherelle McMillan, giving you the instant breakdown of Carolina's victory over Florida State, 77-59 to rail. And this one got a little bit close there at the end of the first quarter. But in the second half, the Tar Heels just took the game over. What do you think was the biggest reason why Carolina was ultimately able to coast to the easy win tonight, man? I think it was their defense, honestly. And that's because, um, you know, Florida State is a deep team. And they're a team where on any given night, you have a couple of guys who can, you know, go for 20. Very similar to North Carolina. But what UNC was able to do, they chased them out of the paint. And I know that sounds a little strange, but they weren't going to give up points, you know, close to the basket. And they forced Florida State into shooting, I think, a lot more threes than they wanted to. I think they ended up with... 31 threes and uh, 28 two-pointers. So that's out of balance. And Florida State's not that great of a three-point shooting team where they can come into Chapel Hill and win shooting 31 threes unless they make a a good amount of them. And it seemed like they made a lot more, but they only made 10, um, which is surprising. So Carolina held them to 30% from the field and 32% from three. So I think really it came down to defense. Like with UNC, we're not going to worry about them scoring really because they have so many guys who can do it um it's all about defense and you play good defense and that starts your transition game and i think it just came down to how well they put uh defended yeah i was also surprised that at late in the second half they showed the graphic that florida state had only hit nine threes and i swear it felt like they had hit like 13 or 14 and i guess it, it was just because they did go on that run to close out the first half speaking of the seminoles there but after that it's like you said man the Tar Heels just really were able to scramble and i think that kobe white i mean he had another bad offensive game we'll talk about that here in a second but i thought that kobe actually did a very good job on defense staying in front of the Florida State guards, and there was a good deal of rotation as well. So between what you saw for Kobe, Kenny, and then also 7th Woods, what do you think about their play as the guard position tonight? Yeah, I think that's important. It's also got to remember, I think uh, Forrest, their point guard, went out um, at some point in the second half with an injury. So you have to consider that um, he played 22 minutes. He probably would have been closer to about 35. Um, so that's part of it. But, you know, uh, Kofer, you know, one of their best players had two points. And and I think it's just a combination of North Carolina keeping everything in front of them, not allowing guys to get into the paint. And there were a few times that they did. Um, you can't keep them out the entire game. But, you know, Kenny and Kobe, like you said, did a great job of that. And they closed down on the three-pointer, on the three-point shooters. So again, you know, 10 three-pointers, it seems like they made a lot more, but I think it's because those were basically for a while, the only shots they were making. So in our heads, you know, it felt like probably 15 or 16, but it was only 10. But yeah, it's just a, a really good defensive performance, I think, from UNC. And obviously we're recording this right as the game ends. So I don't know what Williams is going to say, but I would imagine he's going to be pretty pleased with his, his team's defensive effort. Well, I think Roy's also going to be very happy at the rebounding advantage the Tar Heels had. From the unofficial box score I'm looking at here, Rel, looks like the Tar Heels had 47, Florida State only 32. And that's with Florida State having a pretty sizable height advantage in the paint for a majority of this game. And let's go ahead and talk about Nazir Littleman because he had eight rebounds. It was a career high. I saw Adrian Atkinson put that out on social media. 
But the biggest thing was 18 points. And Nazir came off the bench and really provided a spark today. So how big do you think this is towards development that we're going to see from Little over the last 10, 25% of the season? Because, you know, we're about the end here. Yeah, so I think uh, two things. Before we get into Nazir, I want to go back to the rebounding stat. Mm -hmm. And um, it goes back to North Carolina's on-the-ball defense because it was – to me, it was so good that it forced Florida State to shoot a bunch of threes. And when you shoot a bunch of threes, you kind of um, hinder yourself as far as offensive rebounding because it, oftentimes it's, it's a really long rebound. And they basically took away their size advantage by taking such bad three-pointers, which helped North Carolina uh, beat them on the boards, which helped North Carolina get out in transition. So I think all of that is is kind of connected as far as North Carolina you know, having a 15 being plus 15 when it comes to rebounds. When it comes to Nasir, it was good to see. You could tell that he, early in the game, he made up his mind that he was going to drive to the basket and no one was going to stop him. There were a couple of times where he got the ball and his first step is just so quick. And sometimes we haven't seen that this season, but, um, you know, he got the ball and he made a quick decision. And that's a little bit what's been lacking from him. Um, it's been get the ball think for a second, think for a second, then do it. And by then the defense is recovered, but he got the ball and immediately made a move. That's that nice dunk that he had a couple of the drives, even one of the ones that got blocked. Um, it still was a, a good move because um, it got him into the rim. And then, you know, when you get a player to the rim and get a shot off, that causes help to come over and that helps UNC get off into rebounds. So his aggressiveness was really, really important for North Carolina. And, um, you know, like I said, 18 points uh, that, that, when you get 18 points from uh, your sixth man, which Nazir Little functions on as on this UNC team, uh, you're usually going to have a good day. Yeah, and with Nazir, six of eight from the free throw line, that just shows how aggressive he was. And I think that he really did provide that spark of energy for the crowd as well. I mean, that huge putback dunk that he had in the second half, man, came out of nowhere. That was a highlight one right there. But, you know, he that's a couple. He had a couple of those. I mean, those those kind of plays just get it gets the crowd into it. It gets his teammates into it. And that's, you know, what he can bring to this team. You know, he we've talked about it so many times. It's it's kind of redundant. But, you know, for this specific team, that's what he needs to focus on. That's what his role is for this specific team. We know that he can do other things, but North Carolina is at its best when he is crashing, you know, the offensive glass, when he's using uh his speed and his quickness and his length against taller, slower defenders and getting to the rim. So, uh, you know, it, it's it'll be interesting to see because he's had good games, but he's got to put them together. He's got to start stacking them together. Um, you know, he had a I think it was 23 point game against Virginia Tech and he had a good game against Miami and a good second half against Notre Dame. And now he just has to start doing that consistently. Yeah, let's give a quick shout out to someone else I thought provided a lot of energy off the bench was Brandon Robinson. I mean, he went up there against that seven foot guy, if not above seven foot for Florida State, whose name escapes me right now. But, you know, Brandon Robinson went in there for that tough rebound over him. And Brandon also had a really good game against Duke, I thought. So how big of a deal do you think it is, Sherelle, truly, that Carolina's bench is starting to provide just those sparks? I mean, they're not taking over games, but that's really not their role in this Roe Williams offense. But it seems to me that the Tarros are really gelling at the right time here, man. Yeah, I completely agree. And the thing about it is, is that they do have someone in the Sierra Little who's capable of taking over the game. But then Brandon Robinson and to a degree Seventh Woods can come in and be the energy guys, do the things that, you know, uh, Roy Williams wants them to do. I think Robinson is the perfect example of someone who bought in 
to exactly what Coach Williams told him to do, which I, I'm not privy to the conversations, but I would imagine it was something like, go out there, play really good defense, you know, play your butt off, you know, give the team some energy, hustle, and knock down some shots if you get open. And that's exactly what he does every single game. You can count on it. In addition to that, um, he's he's become a really good passer. Um, I think over the last couple of years when Brandon Robinson got the ball, maybe fans got a little bit nervous uh, because they wasn't they weren't sure what he was going to do. But most of the time, I think he makes the right decision. Um, He had uh, at least one or two really nice assists um, today. And he had a couple against Duke. It's just something he does every game now. Completely agree there, man. Let's take a really quick commercial break, Sherelle. When we get back, let's finish breaking down the win over Florida State. So we'll be right back after this. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Sherelle McMillan talking about the UNC victory over Florida State, 77-59 to in the Dean Dome. All right, so we talked about Nazir Little, but we kind of have buried the lead a little bit, Sherelle, because Luke May and Cam Johnson continued their really high level of play from the Duke game. I mean, Cam Johnson, it's expected at this point. I think the biggest thing that I liked from him, though, is three for four from three-point range. He went over for four against Duke, but today 75%. I mean, when he is shooting like that, it's very hard for teams to outscore the heels if, you know, he just gets one or two other guys to chip in. Yeah, he is a first team all SEC player. Uh, I think as we head into the, you know, the the final stretch as you have it, uh, he's done everything for North Carolina, North Carolina this season. He's been their most consistent player. He's been their best player. Um, I think if you're talking about from November all the way to now and um, his 10 rebounds, I think is overlooked because if you would have came into the season, you wouldn't think that Cam Johnson is someone who would have multiple double doubles just because he's a bit slight of build compared to a lot of guys, um, even though he is six, nine, but he's made an effort um, and you are, you know, what the things that Roy Williams wants them to do, he drills it into into them in practice. And so one of those is getting on the boards no matter what. He's a stickler for rebounding. It's what he feels is one of the most important things to the game. And you can see it with Cam Johnson. You know, he was an okay rebounder last year. I think with the added health um, after he had the surgery, he's become a really good rebounder for his for his position this season. So again, you look at his stat line, you know, better than 50% or right at 50% from the field. You know, 75% from three, 75% for the free throw line and 10 rebounds. So Carolina has a couple of guys who can be the go-to score if another guy's not having their best game, which um, Kobe White, you know, he was four for 13. So it wasn't his best shooting game. But, you know, that first couple of minutes in the second half, I think he had six of North Carolina's first eight points. You know, he can just he can do that. And um that allowed Cam Johnson to get back in the flow of the game in the second half and take over. So North Carolina just has so many ways offensively that they can beat you. But I think, again, the key is just what they do on defense. If they play defense, I think like they did today, um, they can really go a long way in March. Well, and Luke May, let's talk about him as well, because he had 15 points, 11 rebounds. And I think it was last year as well that Luke had a very good game against Florida state, which, you know, the, the common criticism that we hear and it's, it's unfounded at this point, just given how well he has played. But you, know, you always hear that against a athletic big line, Luke is going to struggle. But you know, it may just be he puts on the blinders against Florida State. There were some times where he did push things a little bit, Rel. But overall, I mean, Luke more than than held his home his own. He just played his game, man. Went out there and another double double. 
I, I think people don't realize how confident Luke May is in himself. The kind of confidence you have to have to say, yeah, I've only got a few, you know, I've got some solid offers, but I know I can play in North Carolina. And then to go to North Carolina, you know, get on scholarship before he even gets on campus, uh, to play as a freshman, to play as a sophomore, to hit the second biggest shot probably in North Carolina history, to come back and say, okay, I did all that, great. People aren't expecting anything more from me to come out and be an All-American. And then his senior season to be very consistent and have similar similar numbers, um, even though he's higher up on the scouting report. So every time he is challenged in some way, it seems like he always overcomes it. And that's what we're seeing now. I mean, Luke May had 15 points and 11 rebounds, and it's kind of like, yeah, that's that's Luke May. That's what he does. Um, and it just speaks to his consistency and his confidence in himself. Um, he'll take some bad shots from, from time to time, but that's because he believes no matter what that it's going to go in. Um, so you can't um, – you can get upset with some of the shots he takes, but you have to realize that the shots he misses helps him with the shot he makes. The shots he makes. So, um, confident Luke May, really good for North Carolina, um, and the seniors are just doing a great job these last couple of games, and they got to keep it going with Syracuse coming in uh, next week. Oh yeah, that's going to be an absolute huge game. We'll see what happens when Syracuse takes on Duke in just a few minutes, because like you said, we are recording right after the game has ended. Let's round out the talk about Carolina starting five rail by talking about Garrison Brooks and Kenny Williams. Neither of them had a big point-producing game. Kenny had six points, Garrison had four. But I think it ties back into what you said earlier, where both played really good defense, especially in that second half. I mean, Garrison had a very tall task, but I think it's very impressive to see just how well he has improved on his positioning, especially on defense, because he was giving up a sizable, he's giving up a lot of size, I'll put it that way, against Florida State, both just in sheer bulk and in height, but he was just able to really be crafty down there and not let Florida State take advantage of that. Definitely. And like you said, he's gotten a lot better from this time last year, which you expect from someone going from a freshman to a sophomore. I think, you know, this game was a little tough for him just because of the size. And that's why you saw Nasir Little get, you know, I think it's 23 minutes because he was able to take advantage of some of the big guys that Florida State had in in a way that Garrison Brooks probably wasn't able to. Um, So, you know, it's good for Garrison because he played good defense. Uh, the time he had a chance to finish, he finished and he hit both of his free throws. You don't really, you can't ask for more than that. Now he didn't get the chances that he probably normally does against a team that doesn't have that size, but he converted on them when he got them. And Kenny, um, you know, you'd like to see him shoot a little bit better, but of course everybody can't score all the time. Um, so his three point shot, I he looks a little, to me, he looks a little tired. Uh, and I say that because he's been chasing around, Kyle Guy <laughs> the last couple of games. Uh, then he had to body up RJ Barrett. Um, and he's always on the floor. He's always taking charges. So I think he there might be some fatigue there as far as his offense. But if he can go out there and help defend the other team's best perimeter player, then you'll take whatever he gives you in offense and just say, you know, play great defense, which is what I think um, has kind of been the instruction for Ro Williams the last few games. And Kobe White, I think he's also showing a little bit of fatigue here, Sherelle, because he was 0 for 5 from, from 3 point, and he had a couple that were wide open, and I was very surprised that he missed them. Kobe also tried his patent step back three a few times. Those didn't go down, but he was still very aggressive driving the ball. And like you said, to start off the second half, you know, he did have that spurt there where he got six quick points. You know, but when you're looking at the three-point shooting percentage, overall, the heels were 7 of 20, 
you can live with that given how well Carolina rebounded and shot inside, um, especially like they did against Duke. But when you're looking forward, you know, is there any cause for concern, you think, with Kobe? Or is this just he's a freshman, it's been a long season, and he really is out there giving 100% every single play? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, he only played 27 minutes this game, which I think I have to go back and look at the numbers. But I think that's his lowest in quite some time. Uh, and I think Roy Williams saw that a little bit. Because Florida State, like we said, they were bringing – they were playing 9, 10, 11 guys um, throughout the game. And that can get – tiring <laughs> bringing the ball up the court chasing guys around the court um so i think roe saw that and made sure that he got kobe a little bit more rest than normal i think what you're seeing is just a, a freshman going through his freshman season um he's not going to always shoot the way he did against virginia tech or against texas um or at other miami. times during the season or yeah miami he's not going to always shoot like that um but at the same time i think he realized that his shot maybe wasn't on today i think shooters can realize that and that's when you saw him in the second half uh drive to the basket pretty consistently and the other thing is uh yeah he's got a I won't say that. I was going to say he's got to work better to get a foul calls, but the referees have to call them. There are a few times where he's gotten a lot of contact driving to the rim and there haven't been calls. So I could see how that would dissuade him a bit from maybe driving as much as he was. But to his credit, he kept at it. And I really think it helped North Carolina get off to that great start in the second half and on their way to an 18-point victory. Yeah, the referees, I felt overall, just kind of let a lot of stuff go for most of the game. There were a few ticky-tack fouls. Um, what do you think about that flagrant foul call against 7th Woodstrell? Because when looking at it in, in slow motion, I thought this one was the right call. The one in Duke, meh, I was a little bit more borderline, but you know, I don't think it's anything to really worry about with 7th. I think he's just out there bringing a lot of intensity. Just got to reel it in a little bit, but what did you think about that call specifically? I and not much. It's just one of those things that happens on the basketball court. And, you know, the rules are, you know, the rules are with uh, flagrant one that if you kind of make that contact, even if it's incidental, that, you know, they're going to call it a flagrant one. So I, I don't take much from it. It's just one of those things that happen. And then let's go ahead and look at the rest of UNC schedule, because like you mentioned, they they face Syracuse on the 26th. That's a nine o'clock game in the Dean Dome. Then two away games at Clemson, at Boston College, and then against Duke. By far, the toughest game remaining is Duke. But out of those three, home and then two away. Now, luckily, the away games, I mean, Clemson has just not been very good this year. They're very hot and cold. Boston College, same thing. You know, is it too much to kind of look ahead a little bit towards that Duke game, Sherelle? Or do you think that Syracuse next week, that could be a potential trap game here with that 2-3 zone? I, I think at this point, kind of every game is its own little trap game. You can you can kind of finagle it however you want to make it say, oh, this game is really tough for North Carolina. Um, but you would hope that they could take uh, take care of Syracuse at home. You hope that they can win their home games. That's kind of going into the season for any team. It's okay. Let's win the majority of our home games and then, you know, be salvageable on the road and we should have a good record. Luckily for North Carolina, they are undefeated on the road in ACC play. So they've given themselves a little bit of a margin for error. However, um, I think they are, you know, if they taking your scenario, if they were to win out, you know, I don't know how you keep them off the one line. Um, because they would then have two wins over Duke and some other impressive wins, a win over Gonzaga, uh, a win over Florida State, a win over Virginia Tech. They would have um, mounted up a, a few top 10, top 15 type wins. Obviously, that's going down the road, but uh, that's in play for North Carolina now, I think. And maybe two weeks ago, we didn't think it would be. 
So um, they just got to take care of Syracuse. I do think the game at Clemson of the three um, probably has uh, a high degree. Uh, it has a it's scary. Let's put it that way. Just because Clemson does have talent, they haven't always played well, but it always seems like, and this is just me thinking about the last few years, maybe the last 10 years, it seems like North Carolina has struggles when they go to Clemson. All the way back to the Ellington overtime game, uh, the Harrison Barnes dunk game um, last year or two years ago when Joel Berry uh, and Cam, I guess that was last year when Joel Berry and, and Cam Johnson uh, had a whole bunch of threes. Theo Pinson got hurt. Uh, and they came all the way back but couldn't finish it. So Clemson is always a tough place for North Carolina to play. Uh, so they ne- they'll need to be ready for that. But I-, I think they should win at BC. And then, you know, the do game, you never know. So if they can just take care of their home games, I think they'll be in great shape. Well, in terms of the NCAA tournament pitcher, I talked about that with Sean Moran on our podcast yesterday. And, you know, he kind of viewed the Florida State game as really just another building block there that if Carolina does finish out the season in the best case scenario for that potential one seed. And, you know, this year, Sherelle, I think the the two one seeds that Carolina would probably love to get the East and the South. The East is in D.C. and the South is in Louisville. So, I mean, it's something that I think is still in play. Like you mentioned, I, a couple weeks ago, probably not. But I think that this year, given that those are the locations and the alternative is going all the way out to potentially California to you know, be, maybe be a two-seed and play against Gonzaga, I think it actually is a pretty big deal this year that if Carolina can win out, that they should really have that as kind of their goal for right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's, you know, Roe Williams will tell them, beat Syracuse and then on to the next game and so on and so forth. But uh, it's there and they just had to take advantage of it. Also, quick, just a quick note. Uh, you know, I think we inside Carolina tweeted out the stat. It's been around, but UNC is now 16 and 0 in regular season games following Duke under Roy Williams. And that includes five uh, wins against ranked opponents. So, you know, when I heard some of the pregame talk about North Carolina having a letdown, I don't think people really knew about that and understood that, um, Roe Williams typically just doesn't let it happen to his team and the crowd was great today and the team came out with a bunch of energy and that's why they got one of the reasons they got the win. So what was your number one favorite play from this game, Sherelle? And we'll go ahead and end the podcast on that. Oh, you gotta, you gotta go with the, you know, the nice dunk, <laughs> on, uh, the Florida state player. I mean that it just, it gave the building and the team a ton of energy. And I think for someone like Nasir, who maybe has been struggling with his confidence a little bit, I think that was a big play and maybe it'll propel him, you know, to have a, a great closing to the season. All right. Can't argue with that, man. I completely agree. Although that follow-up dunk, whew, that was also up there, but yeah, the one headed jam, put somebody on a poster as, as the saying goes, but uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, man. Thanks a lot for talking to me, Shro. Hope that you have a good rest of the night and have a good weekend, man. Yeah, John, we'll talk to you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.